Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the latest edition of the Woke Bros, of course. I'm your co-host, Big Waz, a.k.a. Wazzy Lambray, joined as always by my homie, Nando Vila, out on the west side. And today Yo, you... we got a... Yeah, go ahead. No, I was like, you, uh, you know, you're on so many shows now. You got so many shows. You forgot which one you're on right now. It's like, oh, hey, it's, it's ridiculous. Oh, it's Wednesday. It must be Woke Bros. You know, like, I'm in ridiculous. Cleveland. You know? It's ridiculous. <laughs> this is literally the third shit I did today. And today... <laughs> We have a very, very, very special guest, my brother, former colleague, now just very close friend of mine, uh, Tashawn Reed, staff writer at The Athletic, uh, beat writer on the, um, I wanted to call them Oakland, on the Las Vegas <laughs> Raiders, and mm. also, you know, for the purposes of this show, the author of a brand new feature in Jacobin Mag titled, Afini Shakur Took on the State and Won. To Sean Reed, welcome to the show, bro. That was a hell of an intro, bro. Appreciate you having me. Of course, of course, man. Um, normally I would ask you, <laughs> how did you find this subject matter? <laughs> 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 but I actually know how um you found it. I actually, you know, introduced you and and Boshkar um and the team over there because I knew you were gonna freaking kill this subject matter. And I read this and I was obviously blown away. Uh, first thing I do want to ask you for real, for real, before you wrote this, what did you know about Afini Shakur besides the fact that she was Tupac's mom? Really not much. You know, I, I had mm. a sense of, you know, some of the struggles that she'd been through in her life just on, off of the content of, of Tupac's music and, you know, songs like Dear Mama. Uh, I, I knew that she was kind of involved in the movement in some form, but I really didn't know mm -hmm. many details at all before I dove into this, which was what really made the reporting process so fun. Um, obviously it was a little bit weird because she's, you know, she's no longer living. So it was kind of backtracking and, and going through older stuff, but uh, it was really uh, an enjoyable process kind of learning as I go. You know, a lot of times with stories, you know, we're writing about things like with the Raiders, you know, I cover them every day. So I have a very thorough knowledge of it. So it was kind of cool getting to get into something that I, I went into it pretty much blind. Yeah, I mean, when I when I first heard of of her story, I like I almost found it like unbelievable, right? But it, in in a way, it also uh, almost kind of perfectly tracks the um, the experience of being black in America through the decades of the 1960s, through the 70s, 80s, and 90s. The sort of um, you know rising uh, radicalness and and militancy uh, in the 1960s, um, with then the you know. Beating back by the state, and then uh, and then the drug uh, the drug uh, epidemic in 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 black neighborhoods and and all the problems that that caused. But um, maybe like give us the the broad strokes of of what her story was before before she had Tupac. Like who was uh, Afini Shakur? Yeah, so I mean, she was you know like many other black women uh, during that era. I mean, she was born in nineteen forty seven. In North Carolina, and so you know, she was born into the Jim Crow South, essentially, and everything that came with that. Um, in, in terms of her household, uh, you know, she had both her parents initially and, and her sister, but uh, you know, her her dad. Uh, I can't use the term. I don't think that that she used to describe him, but uh, he, he was running in the streets. Uh, you know, abusive towards her mother. Uh, you know, it was a very you know. You know, not the, the kind of household, you know, that, that, that you know, you, you ideally want, but something that probably wasn't atypical of, of many, you know, growing up during that time. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, her mother, you know, did her best. You know, she, she put up with it, tried to live through it. But eventually, uh, you know, she just reached a breaking point um, you know, had her brother come get her, uh, took Afini and her sister. Um, and then that's when they eventually made their way up to New York. 
um, at that point, um, even though she was, you know, free in a sense from her father and everything that came from that, uh, I mean, that that shaped her at that point in her life. You know, you know, it kind of it, it created this anger um, within her, not just at her father for what he did, but she was also angry at her mother for putting up with it. She, you know, she said, mm. you know, she she viewed her mother as weak. You know, and in retrospect, mm. she realized that wasn't fair years later. But you know, she was kind of angry at her mother, like, why would you let us deal with this? Um, and and that carried on with her throughout her youth and adolescence. And once um, she got into high school. Uh, she was very bright. I mean, she was smart, obviously, uh, you know, tested well. Hold on. I, I want get to get to that because that was one of the details in the story that just kind of blew my mind, right? Mm -hmm. uh, that Afina Shakur <laughs> went to Bronx High School of Science. Um, <laughs> yeah. For people who, like, like, people who don't understand, like, like, this school is one of those highly specialized New York City public schools, right? They're part of the big three. Brooklyn Tech, Stuyvesant, and Bronx Science. Uh, you have to take a specialized test to get in. Um, every single year, they're putting kids in the IVs and sending them to Berkeley and Stanford and all these nice type of schools or whatever. Um, and Afini Shakur in the freaking early 1960s gets into this school, right? Like she's in the Bronx with her single parent mom who's from North Carolina and, you know, and again, like, it's not that you should be impressed that people go to these fancy schools, but when you consider her circumstances that this, you know, this woman could just wake up and be like, yeah, I'm getting into Bronx science. Like, I think it kind of gives you an idea of who this person is and their like strengths and abilities. Yeah, I think the thing with her, you know, probably probably because it was such an exclusive school, it didn't fit for her. She didn't like it. She was like, I mean, these aren't my people. Um, this isn't what I want to talk about. This is what I want to be about. And so uh, she ended up obviously not not following following through with that. She kind of got tied up in, in the street life and uh, joined a gang up up in New York and was kind of running around, um, getting into foolishness. And uh, you know, kind of along her way, that's when she she came across the Black Panthers. Uh, she actually heard uh, Huey Newton speaking. Uh, kind of on a random corner in New York, just having me walking by and she had no idea who she was. She just saw these people crowded around him, heard what he was talking about, you know, the, the radical thought, you know, the, the fighting against racism, uh, anti-police, uh, you know, sort of language. And she stopped by and, and one thing led to another and, and she sort of learned more about the organization, um, really just jumped into it as, as many young Black people did at that time. Uh, I think that was something else that that kind of stood out to me while reporting this was, you know, Phoenix, she was born a year before my dad was born. And mm. so kind of going through her life, it could kind of matches up a lot with what my dad told me about his life growing up. He grew up in Missouri, a different state, of course, but a lot of it, you know, similar to what he was going through. And, you know, he was also somebody that was, that was very radical during that time, young. Mm. Um, you know, he, he's a veteran when he came back from fighting in Vietnam. Uh, he, he was more on the, the Malcolm X side of things, I'll just say that. Yeah. And so, um, it, it was very easy for me to understand like how she got into the kind of life that she did. Um, but also through the Black Panther, she also met uh, Lumumba Shakur. Um, and, <laughs> you know, I think this is kind of part of the, of the 60s, but they fell in love very quickly. Uh, a couple months, they were married. Uh, it, it was a very weird situation. Um, well, okay. Yeah. Just yeah, yeah, a couple yeah, yeah. of things, just to backtrack. Because um, yeah. um, I think um, in the article, it said that she had heard Bobby Seale talking, whatever. Um, it doesn't really matter. Like, that's mm -hmm. a small detail. Mm -hmm. um, but yes, uh, she... <laughs> She was in a polyamorous relationship. Um, that's, you know, and again, like, that's what really, like, kind of struck me as I'm reading this. How, like, obviously badass this woman is. 
Um, but just like in you know, being polyamorous has nothing to do with being badass, but like just the dip, like she was just on another, she was just on some other shit. This lady. Um, and it's just like I'm like she is just a remarkable person. Like the more you learn about this yeah. woman's life, the re more remarkable and just unbelievable, as Nando said, that she mm -hmm. becomes. Yeah, and that and she was so casual about it. Like you know, there's a, a biography uh, written about her and the way she discusses it. She's like, yeah, I mean, I did it. So it was just kind of like you know, she didn't view it any kind of way. <laughs> uh, but you know, she, she became uh, you know, very involved with the chapter there. And uh, Nando, do you so think Michelle would be cool, open to no. the idea of some polyamory? <laughs> no, I don't think no? so. No, no shot. That okay. kind of girl. No, yeah, it was. <laughs> I mean, it was. <laughs> it's, <laughs> Uh, uh, but it was an open relationship, which will become important later on in her story. Mm -hmm. uh, but you know, on, on the more serious side, she became very deeply involved with the Panthers. Of course, mm -hmm. um, you know, became really you know a prominent voice uh, within within the chapter. There, um, you know, it, it you know there weren't really it wasn't that obviously the Black Panthers valued the black woman, but for for her to kind of take on this leadership role that was a little bit. Um, unusual for them at the time, yeah. and, and it really stood out, which also speaks to you know what kind of woman she was. That she wasn't going to be allow you know her gender and whatever preconceived notions with that hold her back uh, when it came to how she operated within the party. And this is you know like again, it's a young woman. She's still figuring out who she is in life. Um, she's new. To she's all like twenty one, right? Like how right. old is she at this point? Yeah, like mm -hmm. in her early twenties. Yeah. Like I was a fucking dumbass when I was twenty one. Yeah. Like an absolute. I don't even want to talk about the things I was doing yeah. when I was twenty one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. She, she joined in sixty eight. Uh, yeah, she was twenty one, um, and, and she also, uh, you know, that's, that's when she became a Muslim. Um, changed her name to Afeni Shakur. She wasn't. She was born Alice Williams. She wasn't born Afeni Shakur, and. Um, it's really a transformative period of her life, um, and and really for her, uh, going back to to how she was raised and grew up in that abusive household, um, she said it was the first time that she really felt safe and that she had yeah. met and, and formed deep relationships with black men who weren't trying to hurt her, that she could trust, uh, she could depend on, that were trying to uplift her, and that she felt she felt confident that they were going to fight for her. Obviously, also Lumumba, uh, you know, getting into a relationship with him, he also gave her that sense, and his family as well. She she got to know his family. He had he had more of a traditional setup, and that was her first time really, you know, seeing like, oh, this is how it's supposed to be. She just didn't know because she had never experienced yeah. it before. And so, really, from a holistic standpoint, you know, you know, her entry into the Panthers really in a short amount of time changed who she was as a person. So yeah, she gets the... married. Hold on, then I just want to yeah, just yeah. and you can go, go right ahead. there. She gets married, no. joins the Black Panthers. Um, she's writes for their newsletter. She becomes a section leader for the Harlem chapter. She did a bunch of volunteer work at places like Lincoln Hospital. This is all in the piece for people. Make sure you go out and read it. All while making ends meet as a school teacher. I mean, like, <laughs> that's impressive. Yeah. At 21. It's just like, yeah. like you said, I, I couldn't imagine. And in, in, in the climate that she was living in, I mean, the 60s is the heart of the, the civil rights movement. Uh, I just, yeah, it's hard to fathom everything that she was doing. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it makes me think, like, um, because one thing that radical politics can do and, you know, the, the force of ideology and it, what it can do is channel uh, both brilliance but also rage and alienation, right? Um, mm -hmm. That people, one of the reasons why uh, people 
you know, in the last couple decades feel so alienated and frustrated and alone and um, just kind of the weird time that we fucking live in is because in many ways, the possibility of a radical politics has been um, has been stamped out by the system like they just they won and they they control everything and there's no avenues for um, for radical politics or very few of them. And so people can't attach themselves to uh, a movement like that, uh, you know, a movement that is kind of larger than themselves. Right. That which is what mm -hmm. gives people um, purpose and meaning in their lives. Like right now, we're all just fucking consumer subjects uh, just <laughs> buying the, the fucking trinkets and the toys and the treats. And uh, but we have no higher purpose because there is no avenue. But in the 60s, um, you know, whether it was the Black Panthers or the Young Lords or the Chicano movement or the trade, the, the good old fashioned trade union movement. Trade union. Uh, yep. Yeah. Um, it, it, it was a time where radical politics did seem um, like it could change the world. They, these people actually believed it. And not just did they believe it, but the, the people in power were convinced that if they didn't fucking stop these people, uh, <laughs> they were going to overturn the whole system. Like this was like a real... Yeah fear that people like, you know, J. Edgar Hoover was fucking panicking about this every single day. Um, mm -hmm. Right now, like, you know, the fucking head of the FBI is not worried about like some fucking DSA chapter, you know? You don't uh, think he's, he's worried about BLM? You don't think no, he's, worried he's worried about, about BLM, BLM no, and the enlisted no. demands? No. No. I think you made an no. important point there, though, because I think before she discovered the Black Panthers, uh, where that initial feeling that you think that most of us feel now, that's where she was, you know, because I mean, yeah. you have to think back then, especially during the time she grew up, there, there was no internet, you know, so all she knew was her world growing up in North Carolina. She didn't have an yeah. idea of what the Black Panthers were or were going on in these other regions of the country because it just wasn't a way for her to. But, uh, you know, her mindset, you know, before she came across them was shit is fucked up and it's just going to continue to be fucked up because I'm Black in America and that's how it is. Yeah. Like, she didn't have hope. She didn't think things were going to get better. She was just like, all right, this is how it is. And that's part of the reason why she was so rebellious in high school and probably, you know, floundered some opportunities that she had for herself. Um, but the Panthers, it was like, oh, OK, so, so there is something I can do here. And that's why she became so enamored with it and was so passionate in her work and really jumped into it feet first. So not very long after she joins the Harlem chapter of the Black Panthers, the pigs lock them up, right? They lock them up on charges of like terrorism, like bombing stuff and and. You know, they're going to shoot up a police station and all of these crazy, ridiculous, uh, trumped up charges. And 21 of them end up getting rounded up, uh, which is why it's known as the Panther 21 trial. Um, could you just talk a little bit about <laughs> the nature of the case against them? Um, you know, the snitches, all of the craziness involved with the case against these guys. Yeah, so basically the, the way that they're... You know, a case was constructed. They had three uh, NYPD informants uh, that infiltrated that specific chapter of the Black Panther Party. And, uh, you know, they, you know, as with, uh, you know, Fred Hampton and, and that movie, it was kind of a similar situation. It's like, you know, these guys jump in, they're super radical. They're like, you know, talking about killing police and, it, 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 you know, <laughs> super tough guys. Like, it's like hyper masculinity. It's just like, I'm proving like I'm with the shit, essentially. And like, you know, yeah. again, with this organization being run prominently like men, they were like, oh, shit, yeah. They like, believed it. It's like, all right, cool. I, I believe you. But like, uh, 
you know, Afini, she was yeah. like the only one. We're just wanna... trying to do school lunches, you know? Don't kill anybody. Yeah. Nah, <laughs> we don't want to set off pipe bombs, bro. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. And, and, you know, in your story, you talk about it to Sean, which I think, you know, it's very illuminating, right? Like, Afini's just like, look, like, I could tell this dude was acting weird. All he yeah. wanted to do was talk about crimes he wanted to commit, pigs he wanted to kill. Like, nobody else behaved that way. And then it comes out that the guy's a cop. And if you do any of the... <laughs> if you do any of the, like, reading of accounts from the time, of the accounts of the snitches, what they're telling their superiors, essentially... The snitches are reporting back like, guys, like, this is a fucking social club. Like, these dudes talk a lot. Like, they talk a lot of shit, but they don't do anything. Like, they norm they just don't do anything. And, you know, it seems like their superiors were just not satisfied with those outcomes. The other thing was they didn't necessarily care if there was, like, legitimate proof there or not. The thing was, like, we need to get no. these motherfuckers out the paint. And however we do that, <laughs> that's how we're going to do it. And so that's what they ended up getting charged on. There was, like, the string of bombings in New York. Uh, not a problem, it's, uh, attacks on police stations, uh, four of them between uh, 1968 and 1969. Um, and, you know, also alleged plans to commit, you know, other bombings and attacks and supermarkets and a bunch of random shit in New York that essentially these officers, you know, pieced together during their time within within the party. Uh, and, you know, they ended up indicting uh, 21 members of the chapter. 13 of them actually ended up appearing in court because some of them were, were younger. They weren't adults or uh, some of them had incidents where they, uh, you know, couldn't make it to court for health reasons and things of that nature. So 13 of them ended up, you know, actually standing trial, but it became the name Panther 21 because 21 members were, were indicted. Um, and like with Afini, you know, she was um, in her polyamorous home with, uh, you know, the Moomba and uh, like early in the morning, a police officer like lit a rag. It was like fire and like, you know, banging on, you know, gets them to come out. Um, and, and arrest them there, and they just they did all these arrests at the same time, so they all got caught lacking for for lack of a better term, and rounded them up, and from there they were stuck in a what ended up being a, a two year struggle. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. So you know, obviously these guys aren't like making tons of money. <laughs> being a panther is not a lucrative endeavor. Uh, they all get locked up, but. You know, some nice white liberal law lawyers, many of whom were Jewish, stepped up to the plate for them, right? Mm -hmm. um, they got a bunch of lawyers together. And one of the lawyers was, at the, I think it's the wife of one of these guys, yeah. um, a woman yeah. named Carol Lefcourt. She was chosen to defend Afini, right? Um, and Afini <laughs> <laughs> just wasn't feeling it, right? She wasn't yeah. feeling it. And this is the quote from your piece. I, I want to read it to the, to the listeners because I thought it was quite entertaining. She said, quote, Carol left court, had a tiny squeaky voice. And I thought, hell no, she can't <laughs> represent me. Not sounding like that, she can't. The judge wouldn't be able to hear her her objection, not with that voice. There was no meat to her voice, no resonance, no assurance. Hey, I'm facing the same 350 years everyone else is facing, and I'm not going out like that. So she fires this woman, <laughs> essentially, and it's just like, look, like this nice white lady ain't going to get it done. Like My life is on the line, and you know the life of my kid is on the line. I can't do this. 
Well, yeah, it's I mean, worth reemphasizing well, if they were going to put this woman in life for you know in prison for life for nothing. Yeah, yeah. like yeah. literally nothing. Like yeah. a, a, she was, a fabricated thing. Yeah, she she wasn't pregnant at the time when she first got arrested. But uh, Gosh, anyway, she was she was I think she was, she was still twenty one um, when when the trial started um, or the pre-trial started, and uh, I mean it's just it's like you're twenty one, you're facing three hundred plus years. Like you have zero experience in court. You, you no got idea. no money. You you, you have, just cooked. Like you just got offered an attorney, and she's like, "Nah, she ain't working for me." It's just like another <laughs> instance yeah. of like her showing how how different she was across the board. And uh, I was, you know, Luma tried to talk her out of it. I mean, he didn't want his wife. She's like, because he knew that as well. Like you have no experience doing this. Like you're going to jail if you represent yourself. He's like, "No, you're tripping. You're bugging. Um, you're like, you're not capable of this." And she was just adamant that she, that she had it you know and um you know you know for her and and it didn't i'm sure she was you know it, it racked her nerves you know we, we found out later that you know or she said later that she was you know on drugs during the trial trying to get herself through mm -hmm. and so it was just like she was just calm and chill and, and it was all good but i mean she was going back and forth with the judge she was cross-examining witnesses uh, she was going back and forth with the prosecution like she was at home she was acting like a seasoned attorney for somebody that had never really been in the courtroom before and so uh she really took control of her situation with her life on the line and then ultimately um you know when she didn't end up getting pregnant because she was pregnant while she was in and out of jail uh or the women's detention center throughout the child um even when she was pregnant and she knew she had a newborn uh, eventually on the way in her stomach she still stood her own and, and represented herself which uh, you know, at any time, that's a hell of a feat, but especially, you know, as a black woman in the late 60s with everything that was going on in the country, uh, staring down the end of her life, you know, for her to stand up that way was, was pretty remarkable. The world is opening back up, Delta variant notwithstanding. It's opening back up, guys, and there are so many new thrills on the horizon. Whether you've been in a relationship for years or you're just getting started or just excited to get back out there and meet new people. When the moment comes, trust me, you'll want to be ready. Roman ready. GetRoman.com slash B-O-M. Go there. Talk to U.S. licensed healthcare professionals now. Because with Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for erectile dysfunction. All from the comfort and privacy of your home. Roman ready. What does it mean, you ask? Roman ready means confidence. The confidence that you know you can rise to the occasion in the moment. Emphasis on rise. We're looking at the Summer of Love 2021 version, and Roman wants to make sure you can participate in your way, whether that be as a single person or a couple who still would rather stay indoors with each other. A U.S. licensed healthcare professional will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, it ships to you for free with two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward. It's convenient. It's discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com slash B-O-M and complete an online visit. Take care of your ED without leaving your home. Complete an online visit today to connect with a U.S. licensed healthcare professional and take care of it. Go to GetRoman.com slash B-O-M today. And if you're prescribed, get 50% off your first month of ED treatment. Make sure you're ready to have Confidence and control this summer. Roman ready. <laughs> 
It's and one I'm, of the most insane the decisions. It's one of the most insane decisions like I think I've ever heard of. That's like that's like <laughs> Mario Chalmers level level confidence. You know, like <laughs> yeah. uh, it's just like no, I'm gonna do it. I don't give a fuck. Like I would be so fucking terrified. Uh, you know, to to defend myself in court on anything, like on a like on a misdemeanor right. fucking parking ticket. You right. know, whatever. Right. <laughs> you know, I, I'm assuming that the that there's like a a set of words that I'll say that'll like put me in prison for life, you know, that I'll accidentally right. like, you know, admit to some horrible crime because of some sort of legalese. Uh, but she was like, nah, I'm just going to do it myself. And, you know, all white jury, I don't give a fuck. White judge, I don't give a fuck. I'm going to fucking do it. Even though I'm a, I'm a literal Black Panther, which white people were very scared of back then. So, so that's the context, right? Uh, that we need to drive home for people. It's, one, I'm defending myself, and two, like the system itself, like it's this, the game is rigged against me, right? Like, I got this all white jury that's not a jury of my peers. Um, the judge is not an impartial judge, like, the judge is clearly showing favoritism towards the prosecution, and then there's this, you know, and the prosecution is gonna do what. But I was gonna say, well, I will say on, on the jury, it was it was a mixed jury, but it was it was like predominantly white. Uh, so gotcha. there were some, it was a mixed jury, but it was you know, it, it was not tilted in her her favor. That's for sure. Sure, right. and and again, like the cops, I mean the 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 the, the prosecutor is gonna shout out a bunch of police, right? It's like it's us, it's the cops, it's the law, it's the good guys, like jury, like <laughs> come on, it's us. Obviously, <laughs> these people are guilty. Like the way they stack these things up against defendants. You know, it's just incredible and it's nothing short of just completely remarkable that this woman not only represents herself in, you know, again, the books that is just stacked against her. They throw 350 years again. That's just absurd. <laughs> they have no evidence on this woman that she ever touched the bomb, touched the gun, did it, plotted anything. 350 years she's facing and she wins herself an acquittal. Yeah, and I think... For her, uh, she she later said her motivation it, it was that fear because in her mind, even though she knew she didn't do it, she was like, "All right, I'm going to jail forever." Like she accepted in her mind, "This is it, my life is over." But I'm gonna at least get these bars off. Essentially, it's like mm -hmm. I'm gonna defend myself. I'm gonna go down fighting. I'm not gonna let this quiet, you know, lady that I'm not confident in speak for me, and I just sit here silent and go to jail for the rest of my life and never say something publicly again. She was like, I don't think I'm gonna win here. Like I'm completely afraid, but we're gonna fight this. And you know, ultimately she won. But at no point, you know, even up, up until the end of the trial, was she confident that that she was gonna see the light of day again? How'd she do it? Like, what was the what was the turning point in the in the trial? So the for one, the trial was just like it was super delayed. Um, just it was, it, I think it ended up being like the longest trial in New York history at the time. I'm, I'm not sure if that record still holds, but um, like some of the defendants uh, got out on bail. Two of them jumped bail, left the country, and then like uh, Afini, uh, she had gotten out on bail because she she uh, had while she was uh, locked up initially, she became uh, associated with these women who. Um, had, had been uh, mostly white women who had been involved in the women's suffrage uh, movement in, in the previous couple of decades. And, and also actually, were part of, you know, the Red Scare. They were commie scum. Yeah. Can't forget <laughs> about that. Yeah, they they raised money for her to get out on bail. Uh, and, and while she was out on bail, that's when she ended up 
because uh, her and her her relationship with Lumumba fell apart while they were in prison because uh, they were all held separately. Um, he was trying to have sex with her when they like met with, with their attorneys. She was like, nah, um, you know, the whole friction over her representing herself, like just the whole process. And so while she was out on on bail, that's when she got pregnant with, with Tupac, um, mm. with, with Billy Garland. Um, but she ended up having uh, her bail revoked when those two two other defendants jumped bail and left the country they were all considered a flight risk at that point and so she had to go back to that center and like the conditions in the center like obviously no jail is a good place but like she had like two pieces of toilet paper she was eating slop mm. uh clothes were terrible like she they were doing like body cavity searches uh all that like in general was terrible but especially for a woman that's pregnant it's like mm. that's not only risking like her health but the health of her baby she, she like got out had to go back in uh, she ended up getting bailed again at a, at a certain point, but it was just like this was not an easy process. And again, the American whole time exceptionalism, she, baby. The whole time she's defending <laughs> herself in court while going through all this. Um, but but really, what the what the turning point ended up being in terms of the the trial, uh, you know, the the, the three officers um, were, were called up to the, the witness stand, and she was given the the opportunity to cross examine them, um, and, and basically uh, she was. The, the one in particular, uh, you know, she knew him as Yedwa uh, while he was, you know, in, in the Black Panther Party. Um, his name is Rolf White. Uh, you know, and, and basically when he got up on the stand, she, you know, line by line was like, all right, specifically, like, what did you hear me say I was going to do? And he was like giving a bunch of vague, like, yeah, you know, y'all seem like y'all are very militant. And she was like, all right, like, what made you think I was militant? Was it like working at the, the Lincoln Hospital? Was it my charitable work? Was it, you know, my community stuff? He's like, no, no, no. And she's like, all right. So like, where is this coming from? He basically just, like, that, that's what she exposed in all of the cross-examinations was like, they didn't really have anything specific. It was just like, generally, we think y'all are going to do some bad shit at some point, maybe, possibly at some point down the line. And it's like, you're accusing them of these very specific plots without any specific details that would lead you to believe that they're going to do it. And it wasn't just her, obviously, like, you know, that got exposed through the, the other attorneys that were there. But her cross-examination in particular, Rolf White, uh, I think it ended up being the, the turning point of the trial that just made it obvious to the jurors. It's like, all right, these, these guys don't actually have anything here. Yeah. And so, like, she wins the case. And, like, I'm, I'm imagining if that were to happen today in 2021, she'd be like, uh, what's the 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 poet, uh, the young poet laureate that got invited by Joe Biden to the inauguration, Amanda Gorman or something? Like, she'd be, like, on the cover of Time. You know, <laughs> she'd be uh, invited to the White House. Mm -hmm. uh, she'd be, like, on, you know, the the, the liberals would love her. What, what happened uh, to Afini Shakur uh, after after the trial? Yeah, I mean, she didn't. She definitely didn't get any public celebration or praise. I don't think. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think white America yeah. at the time was exactly thrilled yeah. that these these members of the, the former members of the Black Panther Party were freed. But uh, <laughs> uh, she she gave birth to Tupac, I believe, a month after she was acquitted. Jesus. Um, so she became a mom. That was like first and foremost, and uh, you know her her relationship with Lumumba had had dissolved, and so uh, I mean the, the 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 man she got pregnant with, um, he wasn't. Uh, trying to be a father. So she was basically became a, a single mother. Um, but she ended up meeting a man named Batulu Shakur um, and, and had a daughter, got married with him and, and had a daughter, uh, Sakiwa. He's uh, got a great story too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, his, his, her, her whole life is wild. Like her like interactions with other people is wild as well. But she, uh, so she was no longer a member of the Black Panther Party. She became 
disenchanted with the party while she was going through her trial. She didn't, she thought that, that the, the organization, you know, gave a lack of support um, to the defendants. Yeah. Um, she had a, a personal friend who, who appeared to be killed by the Black Panthers. Um, you know, she, she, just, she wasn't rocking with, with, with the organization anymore. She was still radical coming out. Um, and, and Mutulu, he was, he had helped found the, the Black Libertarian Army, I believe, uh, is the name of the organization. Liberation. Liberation, Liberation, Army. Yeah. Liberation Army that he was, he was a part of. Um, and so she was still involved in the movement. Obviously, the movement was still going on in the early 70s. Um, but, she, you know, she was trying to, you know, become a mother. But um, as you said, with Mutulu, uh, he, he was wilding out. He, uh, you know, he essentially <laughs> robbed a... <laughs> armored truck uh killed you know him and a group of people and they killed somebody stole like over a million dollars and the fucking weather underground is who yeah, he dude. was collaborating with allegedly allegedly, yeah, yeah, allegedly. uh he <laughs> collaborated they they killed a few guards murdered these guys um stole 1.6 million dollars and then yeah. went on the run and you know uh a phoenix Shakur was like i'm a ride or die chick but <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that was <laughs> that was the limit you know so, so so now she's a single mother of two um as i Jesus. mentioned while she was um you know going through the trial she became addicted to drugs um you know she she moved with her kids to to baltimore um and then she got sober initially um but then she fell back into her addiction and so she sent her kids to go live with a friend in california um you know, she she obviously was was battling her addiction. Then eventually, uh, she she got herself right, or she still was on drugs, but she got herself out to California to try to reunite with her children. Um, and she ended up while she was out there, she got into a relationship with a man that was in prison. Um, got pregnant with him, and she didn't. She found out that he had a woman on the outside, um, and so she didn't want to keep the baby. Uh, but she was trying to get an abortion, couldn't get an abortion, and so. Uh, you know, unfortunately, she like resorted to uh, using crack to try to basically, you know, in in the life of the child that was uh, That's in dark. her stomach. Yeah, and by, by, the, by the time she got an abortion, she was a crack addict. You know, by trying mm -hmm. to abort the baby, um, and that's when she, you know, she came distant with her with her daughter with Tupac as he was starting his rap career at this time. This is when he was starting to become, you know, who we ended up knowing as Tupac. Um, but I mean, she was a full blown addict at that point in her life, and uh, she didn't get sober until she moved back to New York and, and um, joined like one of those narcotic anonymous type groups and got clean um, in the '90s. And that's when she started to, you know, Tupac at that point and her daughter both they were they were I mean, you know, for their whole life basically their mother mother was an addict and somebody that they couldn't trust. You know, they didn't know that woman who was defending herself on trial that was this. Black yeah. Panther, who was this revolutionary to them, she was just mom that wasn't wasn't there, you know. And so, um, it, it took them a while to, to kind of start to rekindle their relationship. Um, you know, that's when you start, you know, get the, the song from Tupac, "Dear Mama," um, that comes out. But uh, a gripping record, right? Nick, Art you know, he goes, right? He goes, you know, after you learn her story and and re-listen to that song, you hear it different. Like it, it's, it's a completely yep. new listen. Um, but you know, you know, I think less than two years after that song came out, that's when Tupac got killed, and that was, you know, for a woman who had been was clean at that time, you know, that could have easily 
sent her right back. You yeah. know, losing your son after all the other trauma that she's been through in her life, like this, like my son, after he yeah. becomes a superstar that everybody loves, like he dies, gets shot by somebody. But instead of that, you know, she she ended up using that as motivation. She was like, you know, my duty isn't done. You know, it wouldn't be right to, for him and his memory if I, if I let this all fall apart. And so she continued her, her activism work. Uh, she started um, basically a company in, in his honor um, and ended up, you know, uh, securing his estate and, and starting some projects and things of that nature. Um, but she kept it together and, and it stayed that way, um, rekindled a, a relationship with her daughter. Um, and her daughter went on to have kids. So she had her, her grandchildren as well, uh, you know, until she ended up, you know, passing away. And so yeah. uh, just, she ended up figuring it out at the end. But, you know, even after the trial, there were there were some winding loops in her life. Yeah, I mean, that's why I say like it's it's the, the her story is so tragic in a way, because I mean, it, it kind of, like I said, is mirrors kind of the the overall uh, the trajectory of, of, of many black Americans and throughout the decades, uh, you know, from, starting from the 1960s. I mean, this is like an objectively like brilliant woman, like must have had yep. a force of personality and intellect that would have just like blown was like blowing people away, you know, like that she she grew up in the circumstances that she did and then tr was like an absolutely just remarkable person um, who ends up succumbing to, you know, to crack and, you know, like in some 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 real some really dark places. And you just wonder, like, how many other people kind of like her there were. I mean, because like she she ends up disenchanted with the Black Panther Party. And I mean, obviously, I don't blame her. Um, but and but it's like, you know, she beat the FBI and and the kind of forces of the state that were out to get her. But they, you know, they won. Right. They 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 destroyed the the hope of any sort of radical change in America by doing things like that, like the, sowing distrust, like putting them on the back foot, you know, pitting them against each other. Um, you know, heightening, like, you know, maybe you like, you're in an organization, you don't really like that guy, you know, you just, but you're fine. It's not like you're going to like, but like they sense that and they're like, okay, let's play this up. Like, I'm going to, I'm going to put these two guys against each other. And then, you know, playing up those kind of conflicts and that, that story um, is repeated again and again, uh, not just within the black Panthers, but basically within almost any, um, any radical group, including the, the, you know, labor unions, Hollywood, um, you know, which at the time, like in the 1940s was like full of fucking communists. Uh, and, um, and, and they did that, they did the same thing there. Um, it was just a coordinated, um, all out attack on any group like that. And yeah, you know, certain people like didn't go to jail or whatever, but like the groups themselves were all destroyed. Right. Yeah, it, it, it's kind of it's it's the, like everything you said, Nando, you know, rings true. Right. I think the reason why uh, you or I was interested in Afini Shakur and I think Jack had been mag is because she's, you know, a comrade. Right. Like because her politics so clearly aligned with our own. Um, but, you know, just from reading to Sean's story and just my own little readings about her life. It's like, man, you realize how, just how American this all is, right? Uh, like uh, th they escaped the South to go North. Um, and she goes through all of these crazy ass things. And then she gives birth to a boy who would become the most famous rapper ever. Yeah. One of the most famous American musicians ever. 
this woman yeah. um gave birth to, right? Like the the federal government tried to put her, excuse me, the state government tried to put her behind bars yeah. for 350 years. Yeah, the feds too. And she was yeah. able to beat them and basically gave birth to one of the greatest American artists ever. It's just a remarkable remarkable story. And like, you know, just reading some of her own words, right? Where she's like, yo, I wanted to name, I wanted him to know that he was part of a world culture and not just from some neighborhood. I wanted him to have the name of a revolutionary indigenous person. <laughs> like, like, no, like, cause you know, a lot of times, Nando, and I've told you this in our community, you know, you'll hear shit like, man, we was kings in Africa. You know, <laughs> yeah, like we yeah. was kings. We used to have subjects, right? Like they praise that type of dumb shit, right? Um, whereas <laughs> Afini Shakur is like, no, I want to name Wakanda forever, my... dude. Wakanda forever, <laughs> man. <laughs> she, <laughs> she was like, he's like, no, I'm going to name my kid after a revolutionary, you know, yeah. after an indigenous revolutionary. I just thought that was so telling about this lady's character um and the moral fabric of the woman it's it's amazing appreciate the work you did to sean hey man appreciate you having me on to, to talk about it man this was definitely one of the, the most fun stories that from start to finish from the reporting process to having it published uh, i've ever been a part of so salute to you for, for making that connection you know uh helping me get this opportunity and yeah bro it, it was well worth the effort it was it's, you know I spent months reporting this, working on it, learning about her life, and um, I'm happy with the way it ended up coming up. Has your dad read it? Yes, <laughs> my dad right because <laughs> he's been going off to me for like the past three days because his internet has been out. <laughs> okay, <laughs> and they can't fix his internet because he's been hitting me up like every other week, like yo, where's the? Because I told him I was doing. He's like, where's the Phoenix Chris story? Like, it finally right. comes out and his internet is out. So. <laughs> I'm waiting on him to get that back. But send him going. the hard copy. Yeah, send him the hard That's copy, Jack. You know, I'm sure Bosco can hook him, it up. I, I was like, Dad, I sent you the PDF. Just open your iPhone, go to the email. He don't know how to do that shit, man. So I'm gonna have to wait till he get his, <laughs> till he get his laptop back to read it. But I'm definitely uh, excited to discuss it with him. Fuck <laughs> yeah! Hey, we might need to have Papa Reed on the show, man. That that, that brother yeah. went to the war, became radicalized. He might he yeah. might be a woke bro in disguise, yeah, Deshaun. Oh, hey, you think I'm, you know, people think I, people give me shit on Twitter for, for being all, all radical and shit. Ain't, ain't meant nothing to they talk to that man. <laughs> like that, that man grew up in the projects of St. Louis in the 40s and 50s, fought in Nam, came back, was fucking making tires for a living. <laughs> like, mm. like, he's, my, my you don't want those problems. Hey, you don't want that shit, smoke. Man. It's different. Yeah. You got anything else, Nando? No, no, I'm good. I mean, again, just thank you for writing that piece. is is It was incredible. I mean, it was. It, I mean, I, I knew the broad strokes of the story, um, but the details were absolutely mind-boggling, and and you know, it was told beautifully. And and I mean, I just, I, I can't recommend it enough for anyone to to go out and check it out. It's in the latest issue of Jacobin. If you want to get it in hard copy, or it's on the website. If if uh, if, if you want to get it digitally, but uh, um, yeah, man, it was it was fucking great. Appreciate it. All right, that was our show for this week. I uh, want to, of course, thank my co-host Nando Vila and our special guest, Deshaun Reed, again. Um, and of course, become a Patreon at patreon.com backslash count the dings. Check out all the other count the dings offerings. We'll see you guys next week. Peace out, guys. Later.